Well, good morning, 11 a.m. Does it feel like 12 o'clock to anybody? Do you guys enjoy that extra hour? That's great. Great worship. Great to be with you guys. I want to give a quick announcement before we jump into our text today. Um, if you've been new to Rocky Peak, especially, this will be helpful to you. We've got a class that's called the Movement Course, and what it is, it talks about what our church is about. What's our vision? What kind of things drive us? What values we have? Um, how do we go about doing ministry? And so it's one of those things where if you've been coming, you're like, I'd love to know more about this place. Um, we have a course that's for you, and it's going to be kicking off next Sunday night. It goes for two consecutive weeks. So the 10th and the 17th, it'll go from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Open to anybody. Check your program because it gives you information on how to sign up for that. But we would encourage you to come out and uh, take part in that. Um, we're going to get ready to jump in the text. Inside your uh, program is a note sheet. Feel free to grab that, pull it out. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in. Well, Father, thank you that uh, we got to sing some songs together today that we really want them to be the prayers of our heart. Prayers of our heart, big songs, that you could take the whole world if we could have you. So what we're asking today is that you would do something powerful in this time that would draw us to you in greater ways. We would see the worth and value we have in you more than anything else. So I pray, Lord, have freedom today in each of us, myself too, Lord. We just come, we give you this time and this space, and we pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, great to be with you. My name is Dave. I am one of the pastors here, and I want to kick off today with um, something that happened when I was in undergraduate school at college. I had gone to Biola University. I had a dream of going into ministry. It's a story of how I ended up there. But I was so excited about jumping into full-time ministry. So I started my undergraduate before I went and did my seminary work. And uh, I'm going through this coursework, and I want to bring you to a class that I walked into one day. Been in this class for a while. And we come into this class, and the professor uh, looks a little more serious this day. We're just settling in, opening our books. And he looks... And uh, he kicks off the class with a statement that really rocked my world. And he said this, if you can do anything besides ministry, do it. <laughs> oh, awesome. Here we go. Uh, and then he had a pause. He spent the next portion of that time just unpacking. What did he mean by that? And uh, it put me on this thought process, like, you know, I don't want, and his whole point is, don't go in there just as a whim. You really should be praying through this. God's got to be leading you to do this. It's not an easy road. And so I remember going through a soul-searching time. I remember reading a book by Charles Spurgeon. La Mirada Park was a pivotal time for me. He was a great uh, preacher back in the day and just reading some of his lectures. But I knew I was, should not pursue full-time ministry at that time. I really wanted to make sure and wait. And so I continued my undergraduate studies there, but other pursuits came in. I went through the police academy at the time, finished my undergraduate degree, was at a master's program at CSUN for public administration. And so just kind of pursuing my dreams. But behind that, I was pursuing God in ways I had not pursued him before. It became for me, uh, it was like an oasis in a desert where, man, it's just, you could drink from it. It was powerful. It was some of my freshest times with God. I was totally content. Totally content. 
Never been better with God in my life. A call to ministry came back around several years later. And my first reaction was, no, I don't, like I didn't have a need for it. I, and I, I had to really begin praying and I ended up taking it. But all I can say is those were the, some very pivotal years for me to lay foundation with God that were a sustaining factor for me in times when ministry has been the hardest. That without that, I probably wouldn't have stayed. It's one of those things that I'm so thankful for. I share that story because today, we're going into a text today that will probably rock your world. Uh, We are in a study, it's in the book of Mark. And uh, Mark is someone who was a close uh, associate of Peter, one of the original 12 disciples. He was an apostle, walked with Jesus. And as he lays out this book, he lays out first that Jesus is the king, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And it's him. It's identifying him as the coming king. We're in the portion of the book of Mark where he's laying out what does it actually mean to follow Jesus, this call to follow. And so the story we're looking at is picking up in that whole flow of thought today. So we're in Mark chapter 10. We're going to call this story that we're going to look at the cost of following. Open your Bible to Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. As you turn there, I'll set it up with this. Anytime you hear the sense of following, it entails leaving something. Um, You're going to give a different focus or direction when you follow something. So there's a sense where your direction is shifting, your focus is changing. And there's a cost to following. So let's take a look at it. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and he fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, pause. Okay, already a dramatic scene unfolding. We don't have any backstory on this guy in the book of Mark. What do we know? He runs up. What's he do? Falls to his knees. Who does that, right? And he doesn't walk up. What does he do? He there's something going on with this guy. Backstory. The book of Matthew and the book of Luke give us backstory on him. And this is what it says. It tells us a few things. One is he was rich. Well, we know that also in the book of Mark, it lays it out. So he's a wealthy guy. He's young. He's a younger man. We also find out that he's a ruler. He's got authority. Probably on some type of ruling council. Do you, like, look at this. This is a guy that seems like he's got everything that we want, right? He's rich, young, ruling. That's a, he's got, he's got, it seems like he has it all going for it, but there's even more. It's like an infomercial, and yet there's more. <laughs> what is it? He's spiritually hungry. There's something going on in him. So much that he runs to Jesus, and he's even saying, I, how do you get eternal life? He's eager, he's humble, something's happening. But this is what gets really interesting in this story. It's almost like a Yoda moment. You ever see Star Trek, I mean Star Wars, and it's like, oh, whoa, whoa. Uh, uh. Did you realize, that was not just one person, that was like a whole... I guess you don't go to the Star Trek convention, right? No. Wow. 
All right, sorry, sorry. Back to Jesus now, back to Jesus. <laughs> anyway, Jesus does not respond in the way you would guess he would respond. It's one of those times where he literally says something that stops him in his tracks, and this guy, it, he shifts the conversation, he redirects it, and he starts getting to the heart of the issue. And here's what happens. Uh, so the guy's saying, how do you get eternal life? And Jesus says this, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one's good except God alone. That's kind of a weird response. Some guy running out, how to get eternal life, and he's already shifting a conversation. Let me talk about this word good. He calls him good teacher. The biblical understanding of the word good is more than just, hey, you're a good guy. The biblical understanding of good, it has the connotation of being blameless, blamelessness. That's why when Jesus says, why do you call me good if only God alone is good? Do you see what he's saying? He's making the person think about who he's talking to. It's another way of saying, do you recognize me as God? Or are you just saying a nice phrase, good teacher? Are you coming to Jesus as a savior or are you looking for a good advice guy? Do you need me? Or you think you just need a little advice? Are you getting a sense of where it's going? Oh, this is good, isn't it? Okay, so here it goes. Verse 19. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud and honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. So go to his mind now. What's he thinking? Oh, I've got this. I, really, I think he's, think he's in good standing because usually in the Jewish mind, from age 13 on, is when you become really adult responsibility. So probably from 13 on, I've been working hard. I've been trying to abide by every one of these things. So awesome. Okay, good. He listed those out. Check, 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 check. Got it. And then it says this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Isn't that... I just think this is a very tender thing. Don't miss the character of God laid out in Scripture like this. He's going to love him enough, and he's going to go right to the heart of the issue for him. He said, one thing you lack. Now, what's this guy thinking? Oh, probably a service project. Uh, maybe it's got to do one more thing. He's thinking about what he can do just to get the last piece in, to make sure he crossed every T, dotted every I. He said, go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Two things about this man. He had an assumption he had an assumption that he didn't need a savior. He could save himself. You catching that? Thus, Jesus bringing up the law, because the purpose of the law was to reveal the fact that the law demonstrates we have an inner brokenness, that we can't even live the law. 
trying to fulfill all the laws of the Old Testament is not an external thing of action. It is an internal issue and condition of a heart that reflects in those actions. So this man has an assumption. Doesn't necessarily need Jesus. And he also has a love. A deep love. And for him, it was his wealth. Jesus, now this guy leaves. Jesus turns his conversation to the disciples. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. Why were they amazed? Jewish culture. Wealth was a sign of the blessing of God. That's everything they've understood. So they assume, like, they just can't even fathom what's going on. They're missing the nuance of this conversation. But Jesus again said, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? Now he's going to tell you how hard it is. He's going to say it's impossible. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, well, who then can be saved. And Jesus looked at him and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Um, There is a lot going on in this little text. First, who is this text addressing? Why did Mark include it in Mark chapter 10? Who is this text for, and what is it about? Let's talk about the audience, or who's he directing this at. Some people say, well, this text is for the rich, right? Is that who it's for? Let's just think. Who's the rich? Think of rich people. Okay, you got them in your head? Let me tell you. If we transported this man Star Trek style, That's for you guys, whoever you are, uh, Star Trek style. We transport him over here. This guy shows up. He's the rich young ruler. Got it all. And I said, hey, do me a favor. Come with me. Come to my house. Okay, so we go outside. Oh, your chariot. Where are the horses? Oh, this chariot has no horses. <laughs> it's got horsepower. Uh, come on in. No. Yeah, really. This is how this works. It gets in. We drive to my house. <gasps> wow. This is my house. Yeah, this, oh, beautiful. Wow, what is this house part with big door? Well, that's kind of a house for cars or our chariots. <gasps> really? Yeah. So you park in there. No, no, you don't park in there. <gasps> well, why? Well, I keep my stuff in there. <gasps> oh, huh. You don't put your stuff in the house. No, no, I have other stuff in the house. And I keep, there's, I keep other stuff in the garage. Ah, open it up. Look at all those boxes. Oh, what's in those boxes? I don't know. <laughs> stuff I'm pretty sure that I need. Last time I cleaned it out, I thought I needed it, but that's what I got. If he'd walk in my house, go through that laundry room, what would he notice? This box, what is this box? Oh, this is amazing. You put clothes in it, and it washes them for you. <gasps> really? Yeah. What is this box? That dries them. <gasps> no. Yeah, it does that. Just take a few steps. There's a bathroom. Amazing. Why? You turn a knob, what happens? Water comes out. 
where does this come from? I don't know. <laughs> I just know when I turn it on, it comes out of there. It's, you can drink it? Yeah, you could drink that. Uh, well, you even have a basin to wash your face and your feet. No, that basin is not for washing. You sit on that, and that is where your waste goes. Oh, who empties the basin? Well, nobody. You push the button. Oh, push it. <gasps> Whoa. Where does that go? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> off it goes. What are these buttons on the wall? Well, this one you push it, so if there's a bad smell in here, it just takes it right out. Oh, <gasps> no. Yeah, if you push this button, what's that do? Oh, makes it warm. It's a heater. It heats up the bathroom. <gasps> this guy would be blown away. And we just got to the bathroom, right? You kind of taking a look at it, a couple contexts. One, just present day. Who's wealthy today? Well, anybody that's sitting in this room would be considered wealthy. No matter where you stand on the socioeconomic level, you'd be considered wealthy. Probably more than 85% of the world. But think of it historically. We are at the top of the 1% of anyone who's ever lived. So if this were directed at the rich, who would it be directed at? Yeah, it would be all of us, right? But actually, in Mark 10, is this just a passage for people who are rich? No. There, there's a lot going on in this little passage. And you started picking up on some of that. There's a, there's a sense, as you take a look at this, that there's more going on. I'll give you just one note on money before we move on. It's kind of a, a sidebar. Quick thing. The Bible speaks a lot about money. Is the application in this that all of us should sell our home, our furniture, our cars, and our clothes, and then we can be saved? <laughs> Make it happen. Is that what it's about? There's something more going on. When you look now, here's one way when you take a, and interpret a text. You want to see what else has the Bible said about it. The Bible speaks a lot about money. You can study that. There's great courses we even have here. You know what it says? It says that we should provide for our families. We should work. It speaks against laziness. You should actually give off the top. You tithe. Give back to the work of God. It says we should save. It says you should manage it well. Spend it. Give generously outside of tithing. It speaks a lot about it. You're not finding commands everywhere to sell everything. That's why there's more going on here. Even if you look in the book of Luke chapter 19, he encounters another rich man. He doesn't tell that guy to sell everything. This guy offers to sell some. He's like, no, no, you're saved. Oh, wow. It's not about that because it's getting to something that's deeper. There's something deeper and applicable for everybody of all time, which is this. It gets to a primary love. There are things in our life that grab our heart, and it is getting to that. Jesus is giving us a spiritual insight that there are things apart from God that can grab our heart and affection. For this man, what did it happen to be? His wealth. Look at verse 27 again. Jesus looked at them and he said, With man, this is impossible regarding salvation. But not with God. All things are possible with God. What's this about? The point is this. Salvation is totally a work of God. 
It is something apart from the grace of God. We would be impossible for all of us. We cannot be our own savior. We cannot correct the brokenness within. We cannot become blameless by doing enough good things, serving in enough ministries, going on enough missions trips, giving a certain amount of money. It doesn't do that. What Jesus is illustrating is this. You cannot buy the favor of God. It's not something for sale. What we could never do, he did for us. Willingly coming to die, to rise again, offer a life we could never have on our own, lived what we could never live on our own, paid an ultimate price, reestablishing a kingdom and coming to rule again and inviting us to be part of it. Amazing. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Take a look at this verse. Famous scripture, and got to keep this in mind. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through what? Faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. What is this? It's a gift. Not by works. Fill that in. Not by selling half of what you have giving it to the poor, selling all of it and giving it to the poor. That doesn't do it. Not by going to church. I don't care how you fill that in. It is not by those things. Why? So none of us can boast. Because isn't that what we would do? Look what I did. I saw, I'm, hey, I'm kind of in the front of the line. You know? It is a gift. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus references that as well. If you just look back a few verses, verse 15, he said, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Why? Because kids will receive freely. And they'll believe. They'll take it by faith. That is the heart and posture of a Christ follower. So Jesus is revealing his efforts And he gets to this, he also is revealing this man's love. His primary pursuit. And this man may not have even realized it until Jesus challenges him with it, something to uproot what he really, what held dear in his heart when he said, go sell it all. (gasps) Then he realized how much he loved it. Thus he went away sad. This text is a text about idolatry, an idol. There is a, this is a topic that the Bible speaks about all the way through. It's talked a lot about in the Old Testament and the New. A couple things to mention about the danger of idolatry. The the warnings have always gone out to people who worship God. It's always going out to the people of God. Why? Because there must be something within us that tends to drift. Thus, it's repeated over and over and over and over. Old Testament, you'll find whole cities were wiped out because they fell into it. It's interesting if you watch like the anatomy of someone falling away, they didn't usually just turn and say, okay, I'm worshiping the true God. Look, I'm going to make this statue with my hands, and now I worship that. They usually were worshiping God, 
They're around other people who are worshiping false gods, but those false gods always represented things that we oftentimes need. They needed crops to grow. So is a god for the rain or fertility of the ground. Is that bad to desire that? No, you want to provide for your family. But other, other cultures started doing things, making false idols and worshiping them. And so, oh, we'll worship the true God, and we're going to do that because we really need that. It's what that idol represented is what their heart was going towards. So they would, hey, we'll worship God and this. Thus you get spiritual prostitution. This is such a common thing. It made to the top 10 of Jesus's top 10 commandments. The second commandment said, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, on earth below, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He's jealous for you. He wants you and me to be jealous for him. Well, we look at that and like, okay, that's awesome. That is great because um, as I look at it, it's fairly clear. No idols, period. Okay? I am not bowing down to Baal. I am not worshiping a squatting Buddha. I'm not practicing voodoo or doing weird things. Check that one off because that's an easy commandment. Got it. Let's move on. In our minds, we struggle with this because we have a problem. Quite simply, deep in our hearts, we don't usually think we struggle with it. We don't think we struggle with idolatry. Um, the New Testament continues on giving warnings to the people of God about idolatry. Even in the book of 1 John, it's very interesting how that little book closes out. It has a little passing phrase at the end, and it just says this, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And he signs off. What a way to end a letter. The book of Colossians starts to round this thing out a little bit more. He's going to take away the image of statues and paints another picture of what idols are. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it'll be up on the screen. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and greed. Then he defines something for greed. He says, greed, which is what? Idolatry. Well, that's not a statue. I want to give you a definition. You can write this down in your outline. What is an idol? It is anything you love and pursue more than God. Anything you love and pursue more than God. Ezekiel talks about this, but first I want to give a quote to you by A.W. Tozer. He says this, our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter and within the human heart, things have taken over. Know what he's identifying? Idolatry starts where? In the heart. It's what Ezekiel says, chapter 14, God is rebuking the elders of Israel because it says this, you have taken, 
It says they have set up idols in their hearts. So where does idolatry start? In the heart. It's having a functional God in their heart. Something that they begin to worship by their words and their deeds, the things that they do. Something becomes a primary that we give our love and attention and affection to more than God. Do you see how this is starting to get closer to home? Identifying your idols. Let's talk about that. You know, most become idol worshipers by accident. Remember, keep it in mind like this. It's usually good things that have become God things in our life. Move to a place too high on the priority list. So I'm going to ask you to look at that. Before I ask you to do that, do you want to see mine? Okay, I'll show you some of my idols. All right, let's take a look. Here's the first one. Look, there's my house. Um, It's great. It's got walls all over. People say, that looks like a compound. I say, no, that is a gated community. (laughs) Um, That's my house. It was a house that was totally used as a drug house before we moved in. We had to totally strip it down. It was just, it was like a ministry project. Was lost, but now is found. (laughs) And needed a lot of love and attention. A lot, let me tell you. And it still has ways to go in there. Um, But I have dreams for this place. I have dreams for my backyard. Some thoughts for my little boy, what I want to do. We've got a jacuzzi. We've never been in it yet because it's still not working right since 07. But I've got dreams for that. Um, I have this room in my garage. I've got books. I cannot wait to get that set up, be a better library and a place of retreat. Do you see, I've got dreams for this place. Do you see, I could put a lot of my love and attention and honestly, too, it's, it's a ministry tool for us. We have people there all the time, all the time. We don't even have to be there. We just give them the keys. Here you go. So we use it. But do you know within, it can come to a place where it comes too high. It can be an idol. Want to see another one? Okay, next. There's my car. Oh, please. <laughs> That's awesome. They think, oh, you drive a Ferrari? Really? (laughs) All right, I'm joking. I don't drive that thing. Next, I drive a Ford. There it is. (laughs) 206,000 miles right there. Yeah, that's not an idol, right? (laughs) Okay. Next one. Picture of your car. No, just joking. Um, Oh, this one. It's a hobby of mine. You know, I've stuck with this. I do this. It's police work. You know, I snapped a picture. I worked Hollywood Division on Hollywood night. I mean, Halloween night. That was fun. Uh, but look, they gave us shiny new cars. Better to catch you with. Awesome. <laughs> but you know what's fun? Like for me, I love being able to get out there and help people. I love to do that. There's something that is satisfying and brings back from that. A lot of times in ministry, it's long, hard. You don't see quick payoff. But man, if you can go help someone who needs your help, that feels good. Great relationships. Been able to be in places where I've seen just being able to make a difference there. That feels good. And it's one way for me to give back to a community. Because I don't get paid for that. I just help out. But I love that. But I receive back from that too. But you see how that can start competing. A hobby. 
or something that's not your primary job. Do you see it? You want to see another idol? Next. That's our church. I'm a pastor. I have served here many years. Long before I served, I used to pray for this place. I love the privilege of being able to talk to you and share the word of God. I love it. I get a lot of joy out of it. Um, it's the angels, I think, coming. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> I'm getting a lot going on. But I'm just saying this. You know what it is? For me, it's a love. And I love to be able to do ministry. I love to lead teams. I love to use my gift to help lead teams of, of pastors at our church and dream about how we can fulfill that vision even better and go for it. I love it. I put more hours into this than you'd care to know. I love it. I love seeing things like this. You see someone right here. It's life change when you get to be on the front row of God meeting people. I'm telling you, that's when it's like a pastor's payday. I love it. But even serving for God, I receive back from that. And there's things I can get. Do you see how that can compete? You want to see another idol? That's my boy. I know he is cuter than yours. I know. But <laughs> I love him so much. He's such a great kid. The minute I walk in, what's he want to do? Dad, let's tackle. And we tackle. And he wants undivided attention for hours. But I love that part of my day. I love it. I love him more than words can describe. Watching the nuances of his personality form. Being able to be the first one to share cool insights with him. Watching him just, I can just watch him play. It's fun to me to do that. I love him. Deeply. Another idol. Take a look. Isn't she beautiful? Why is she with me? Like, what is going on? That is my wife. She's amazing. She knows me. And is still with me. Quit laughing. <laughs> but she, you know, she's someone I can tell my secrets to, anything. She's someone, she knows how to pray for me and encourage me when nobody else even knows I would need it. That is an amazing friend. I love sharing my life with her. I cannot fathom life without her. I love her. So I have a wife and a kid. It's my family. Do you see how we're moving up on my, my hit list? Things closest to my heart? Are these good things? They're amazing things. But amazing things are never meant to be God things. All of us were in danger of that because the, once it goes out of order, it actually even begins to sour. Because our ultimate fulfillment is not in anything or person it is in God who gifts us to be able to love and enjoy the people and things we do have. But when you flip it, an idol has been erected and we begin to drift. And it's so subtle. Three key questions. Number one, let's identify your idols. I started by going to your Facebook. Let me show you what I found. I'm joking. That would be fun. Number one, 
One, what do I pursue the most? What do I pursue the most? What do you think about the most? What do you pray about the most? What's your biggest goal? Your greatest desire? Maybe that's a person. Maybe you're single and just the ideal person is in your mind and you've been waiting so long. It is driving you deeply. Maybe it's a job. You're driving so hard to try to get it. Maybe it's an extra 10, 20,000 a year. You think that's it. It's one of these things when we have things we pursue, even good things, a family, things like, it could be anything. Good things we can pursue, it also can start to warp how we even interact with God. Sometimes we pursue things and we begin to bargain with God. I want this so bad. An answer to a certain prayer. You want it so bad. God, I'll go to church if you do this. I do this, you do that. We don't worship him to bargain, to get. We worship him because who he is. What do I try to keep the most? That's number two. What do I try to keep the most? You've got something. Now you'll fight to hold on to it. Maybe you've worked for years and years to get that perfect CrossFit body. Now you got it. And you will spend hours on end to keep it. And not even your family shall come in the way. It's an image. It's a reputation where you may try to cut corners just to keep it. Maybe it's your portfolio that you're so committed to keeping it at a certain amount that if it ever drops below it, your world is so upset, it is not right, you're anxious, there's anger, frustration, you'll do whatever you can, you're going to keep it, even when things are out of your control. What do you try to keep the most? Number three, what do I fear the most? What do I fear? Part of this is like you can say, hey, I I trust the Lord. But what would shake your trust in the future the most? This is just another angle at it. What would shake your trust in the future? If you lost this, your world would crumble. Your job, maybe it is your ministry where you get so much validation and enjoyment. Maybe it is your reputation. Even if you were falsely accused, maybe it is your health, and always the hardest, our people. I am a pastor. I've been to many devastating moments in families when they've lost people they love. Been there as a police officer in devastating scenes. I've lost people. It is painful. There's a sense, you know, and that is a good thing. We're supposed to be able to mourn that. We should, because we want to love people well. 
But there's a sense, too, if you think of things in your life now, if you thought, oh, if I lose that, I am destroyed. We may be devastated. We are not destroyed because our ultimate hope is in someone greater, which is the Lord. Right? Just a warning with kids and families. It is so easy for kids to become an idol and a primary focus. And it usually plays out like after they're out of the house, mom and dad can look at each other and realize, I don't know you anymore because the idol left. They're subtle and they're good things. It just plays out in so many different ways. And it's, it's something we all have to look out for. I'll read a quote by Martin Luther. He said this, Ask and examine your heart diligently and you're going to find whether it cleaves to God alone. If you have a heart that can expect of him nothing but what's good, oh, that's an interesting phrase, that you truly expect the goodness of God. This is getting to the secret of reversing this. Especially in want and distress, like when you're in need, you expect the goodness of God. And that, moreover, renounces and forsakes everything that's not of God, then you'll have the only true God. If, on the contrary, it cleaves to anything else, of which it expects more good and more help than of God and doesn't itself take refuge in him, then you have an idol, another God. This gets to the place of what do you trust more than God for your security and your future? If so, it's an idol. See how quickly it gets close to home. This may be one of the best messages to hear. Because these things sneak up on us so quickly. So let's talk idol proofing. You want to? Idol proofing. We're going to call this recovering your first love. What do we do with this? Our hearts always have a passion and a pursuit. This is a love issue. A relational issue. So let me take you to a place where a relationship was broken and God gives instructions on how to repair it. Turn to the book of Revelation chapter 2. Just two verses we're going to look at. Revelation chapter 2, go to the end of the Bible, last book, chapter 2, verse 4. When good things take over. This is a great scripture. Revelation 2, verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. He just gave a prescription. What happens when you've lost your love? Who's our first love? That is the Lord. Who's his first love? That's us. He demonstrated his own love when we had no thought of him, when we needed him the most. He died for us, rose, and continuously offers life to us, so much so that he wants to include us to expand his work and his purposes and be with him forever. That is a deep, abiding, driving, a jealous love. 
and he wants our hearts. And he gives us great things along the way. So he says this, repent and do the things you used to do. How do you repent? I'm going to give you a phrase. I want you to write this down. Open your hands. Open your hands. I'll explain this in a second. In the story of the rich young ruler, Jesus says, hey, there is one thing that you lack. And he never says what it was. He only illustrates it. What this man never had was an ability to open his hands, and for him it was his wealth, his idol of wealth, so he could hold on to God. Can you open your hands? In opening your hand, you're saying, I surrender these things back to you. Should you give them back to me, I will use them for you or love them well for as long as I have them. You open your hands. You give these things right back to him. Remember who gave those to you. Book of James tells you, if, any, if there's something that you love in your life, I don't care if it's an internal quality, a gifting that you have, an ability that you have, a person you have, blessing you have. Listen to James 1, verse 16. Look on the screen. It says this, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, because we're deceptive. We think we get all this because of our own abilities. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Love how it uses the word Father. He's a good father who does not change like the shifting of shadows. He's consistently good. And he gives us great things. Do not confuse the gifts from the good father as your ultimate pursuit. The giver of the gifts has your best interest at heart and you give him your heart. Does that make sense? It's a scary thing to do. You ever been on a roller coaster and you're freaked out? What do you do when you're freaked out on a roller coaster? Yes, scream, A, B. Um, what do you do? You grab that railing, or better yet, if there's someone next to you, what do you do? <laughs> you know, claws. This is a picture. We took my son on one. Here you go. Take a look. Ah! You know. There he is. Sheer terror. Um, he's got to hold both of us. He doesn't want to look, but he can't help but peeking just a little bit. You know, so you see him. But that's, that is us right there. That's us. That is us holding on to the things that we think we can trust and give us the greatest security. The scariest thing to do on the roller coaster is what? Let go. Put the hands up. And it's that seatbelt or you're dead, right? <laughs> That's the moment of truth where you have to trust that seatbelt. That is what it feels like when you let go of something you hold on so tightly because now you're, just, you're saying, I trust you, Lord, more than that as my sufficiency. It is not a feeling that you have to have to make that choice. It is always an act of faith to do it. But what's repenting look like? Hands open. And you give it back. Should he give it back for as long as he does? 
you use it for him and love it well, but only in the right priority. The second thing from Revelation is rekindle your heart. Rekindle your heart. Uh, because this is a love issue, you cannot force a feeling, and it's not even about a feeling. Love is an action, a choice, and often comes with great feeling. And here's what it is. You need the Lord to rekindle and warm you up because you cannot drum that up on your own. That is not your job. But you can position yourself before him when he can do that. One of the things in Revelation says, hey, remember, why don't you do the things you used to do? Have you ever been in a moment, and you're a Christ follower, where you remember God meeting you powerfully? What did you used to do? Some of you are outdoor people. You love being outdoor. I remember my wife, one of the things she used to love to do is get on her surfboard and just float in the Pacific past the breaking waves and just be with God. She'd meet him. Some of you outdoor people, you love that. I was thinking this week, what about for me? When were some of the times where God captured my heart? The beginning of the service, I told you for me, my pivotal years when God began grabbing me in deeper ways than ever before were those years where I stopped a pursuit of ministry and it was a pursuit of him. And I would do certain things. I remember being in my dorm room, my roommate would leave and sometimes at night I would turn the lights off, close the blinds, and we had one of those heaters, those big wall heaters that you know had a little blue pilot light you can see at night and you know warms up the room, old school. But I remember I'd lay on the floor and just the, the blue glow of the pilot light going in there. And I would put this music on and I was picking music that talked about the very character of God. I had never meditated on who is the Father? Who is the Son? Who is the Spirit? And I'm telling you, it began to blow me away by how good he was. Sometimes I would lay there for an hour listening to stuff. Sometimes I begin to worship with it. Sometimes my thoughts would just get lost in him. And sometimes he would reveal himself in powerful ways. And it gave me, uh, marked me with just this foundation that I'm so thankful for. So it was fun this week for me. I got to, I was thinking back. So even yesterday I came up here and was in my office and I just, soaked with the Lord with songs like that again about who he was there's something that happens when he draws you to him and you realize how great he is and you realize that is your primary love and you reprioritize and he will re-engage you and it may take time but he will meet you Right now, I'm going to have uh, Lauren and this team, they're going to lead in just a song that you don't need to sing to. I want you to receive this. It is a song as if the Lord is speaking to you. What I want you to do during this time, I want you to just let your thoughts get lost in where he takes you on it. But your attitude of your heart is, Lord, open me up to you. Get that picture in your mind holding on. You're in the roller coaster. You're going to find that you're going to start getting a sense where you can begin to open your hands and trust. We'll do our offering after that and another song to respond to. But just receive this. You know, he is 
He is better than we can imagine. Uh, There is nobody more for you. There's no one who has demonstrated his love in any greater way. And there's a place where he will rekindle you. And part of our role is we repent by keeping our hands open and letting him keep putting things in right priority as we surrender. It is a place of full surrender, right? If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, today is a great day to do it. You recognized how great a gift he has given, the opportunity for life with him now and forever, and you surrender yourself to him. And so whether this is your first time doing that by just saying, Lord, I I give you my life, forgive me, I repent, I turn, you are primary, and I'm not even sure what all that means, but I recognize that you're God, and you've paid a price, I come to you. That's your first time, that's awesome. And for many of us, we've been here for a long time. What I want you to do during this song is to respond to the Lord. We're going to do it in two ways. The ushers, you can go ahead and come forward. We'll be taking an offering. If you responded to the Lord in any way, you can write on that card. Just say, I've given my life to Christ. We will send you information on how to keep growing in it. You can put your prayer requests. We will stand with you in prayer. But here's what we're going to be doing. We'll be giving back to the Lord. But we are going to be declaring to the Lord. And as... as As they begin to lead us in worship, I want to encourage you to do something. As you experience God meeting you, some of you may are just not hand lifters, and that's totally fine, but I would encourage you today, if if you're realizing there's idols and you're beginning to reprioritize, open your hands in a place of surrender, maybe just in front of you, maybe you lift them up above you. And listen, if you don't do this, you're not less spiritual or anything. It's not about that here. I'm just giving you freedom to respond. So Lord, would you meet us as we respond? We give you our hearts. You may have all of us. We surrender ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Stand up. Let's worship together. There's some power in this place right now, right? You know, there's, there's genuine spiritual power when we come to places of full surrender. And that is not always easy to do. Sometimes it's like prying our fingers. But you know there is freedom in it, and the Lord will meet you. So today, the whole idea behind this, is this a one-time message? This is a lifestyle. This is what we do. This is how we live life. And this is something that we desire to mark our church. Mark our church. You know, next week you're going to want to come out. Um, The disciples are shocked in this conversation. They begin to talk about, Well, what is in it for like those who follow? It turns into a conversation about rewards for those who follow Christ. It's fascinating. Mike will be back next week bringing us that message. It's going to be great. Bring your friends out. But before you leave, um, let me just give you a blessing. Speak a blessing. May the Lord meet you in the freshest ways this week as you surrender everything else to him. As you come before him and rediscover ways you've connected with him, may you experience his grace, his mercy, and his power, and the freedom you have in him more than you've ever had before. So God be with you guys. Bless you. We'll see you guys next week.